Welcome to The One Hour Intern. I'm your host, Will Bringer. On this week's episode of One Hour Intern, I learned from Grammy award-winning duo with over 10 multi-platinum singles and billions of streams, The Chainsmokers. So to open up, let's just get some context about you in the world right now. What have you guys been working on during quarantine and the COVID months of our life? Yeah, strangely enough, we have been on tour for the past eight years, basically since we met touring as much as possible. We've kind of gone everywhere in the world, tried to to play for as many fans as possible. And that's been, I think on average, like a hundred, I think last year we, we played 180 shows between our arena tour in North America and then international festival season. And then we do 50 shows a year in, in Las Vegas at the win at excess. That's kind of where we were coming from. And in the beginning of this year, we're like, we need to just kind of take a pause. Maybe we'll just do Vegas, which is an easy flight from LA, but the rest of the tour, and we kind of put on mute and we were going to take this year, even pre COVID to just work on music and regroup. And so, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy what happened in, in the world at this time after kind of making that decision for ourselves. But we spent our time doing just that. And Alex and I have been investing in startups for the past five years. And we decided to start our first venture capital fund. So we're working on that during the day and music by night. And during this time, you took a media kind of blackout. Just Is that just so you could focus on this? Or were there any other reasons behind not using any social media at this time? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of great reasons not to use social media. <laughs> but especially when you're being creative. You know what I mean? I think it allows you to focus. And we wanted this next part of our career to really be kind of like a reset button for that and to mark the start of something really new and important and fresh. And we felt like, you know, giving people that break was important and also important for ourselves to really focus on the art and what that message was. So then when it comes back, it really feels like something important and and different and drastic. That said, mentally, I feel better than ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not having posting Instagram photos feels like a really nice break. And you said that it's kind of a reset to, and does that mean that there'll be stylistic changes and kind of message changes, or is it just kind of a mental reset? I think it's both. I think it's going to be definitely a musical reset. So now that we've kind of set some context of what you guys have been working on recently, since no one's heard anything from you in a while, let's jump back to the beginning. So for Alex, it's 2002 and Drew, it's 2007. You guys are 17, my age. What was life like? Uh, wow, 2002. I was a total loser. No, I was kidding. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess getting ready to graduate, you know, high school. You know, I think you have a good idea at the time of what you think the world is going to be like for yourself and what you try to are going to try to do, but you quickly realize that you actually have no idea. And I think that that thing was me going to school for the first year as a, you know as a freshman. You know, you don't have any of your friends anymore. You're making a friend group. What are your interests? Where do you go to hang out? What do you do? I, at the time, thought I was going to be an art dealer. Looking back now, and like, <laughs> it's kind of funny and laughable to think about it like that. But I think at that point in your life, as a senior in high school, you kind of feel like you have such a good grip of your plan as you move forward in the life. And I can tell myself, if I look back then, it's like, you got at least another decade before you figure it out, buddy. Yeah, and for me... When I was 17, I grew up in Maine. Maine's a beautiful place, and I'm thankful to be from there. But I was very anxious to see something else even before college. And I was really lucky enough to go to this public school that really encouraged people to go abroad. And 
I really wanted to speak Spanish. And so I was really interested in going to South America and I ended up going to Argentina. And I had thought that I was going to be in a city like Buenos Aires. And I wasn't really specific about where I wanted to be in Argentina and probably a little bit ignorant about the, the geography there. And I ended up getting placed in this town called uh, right outside of El Bolson, which is basically the middle of the Andes Mountains. So I moved to the other side of the planet, but I basically moved to a very similar place that was similar to Maine, where I was from. Very small town vibes. One thing that was really impactful that happened to me there, in addition to learning Spanish, was when you're 17, 16, kids go to the clubs. You can drink, you can party. And when I went to the club with friends that I had made in Argentina, they were listening to very different music. They were listening to Daft Punk and the beginning of David Guetta before he had really crossed over into mainstream American culture. And most of my friends at home were still listening to like the whole 50 Cent and Lil Wayne and artists that I still love too. But I kind of got exposure to the genre that became my passion as soon as I moved home. I was like, I played in a band my entire life and I had heard all these new sounds and I didn't know how to make them. And so, you know, I bought this program called Ableton and spent all my free time doing that. And I still use it today. So I do want to go back to how you started being a DJ. But even before that, when you were at home, what were your parents teaching you? In my case, it was just my mom. And, you know, we had this kind of crazy ride previous to that with all sorts of personal things. But, you know, I think it's important that your parents like instill those core values that you carry with you for the rest of your life. And, you know, and mine were like, you know, obviously treating people kindly and being fair and accepting everybody. And just like the one thing Jack, I think I remember her saying more than anything was that money isn't happiness, which taught me to like really value the relationships I had around me. And, you know, and fostering those things, which I've definitely taken with me throughout my life. Alex, were there any particular relationships that you made when you were younger that kind of your mom's influence helped you get, but that were really important to you and influential in your life? Weirdly, my friends were always the most important people in my life. My mom was definitely like the person I looked up to and my dad when he was around, but he was out of the picture when I was, by the time I was 13. So for me, it was like, I really just relied on like my friends around me. And having, you know, them be a part of my life and kind of guide me and, you know, obviously some for the better and some for the worse. But I never really had a, like a mentor growing up. I don't think we, we to this day, we really still don't. <laughs> we haven't practiced that. We have lots of people we turn to advice, but that's why I think we kind of had ended up where we are because hospitality and payments is a big part of those things and fostering those relationships throughout your life. And that's like always been the most important thing to me is like surrounding yourself with good people that inspire you or are honest with you and moving forward from there. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my situation, my parents were very adamant on me pursuing something that I was passionate about. They really didn't care. My parents don't care about money. They don't care about, they just care about overall happiness. And I was very entrepreneurial from a very young age from basically since I was 12 years old, I wanted to start a business. Music was also my other passion that I was doing 50% of the time. And like I said, since I came back from Argentina, I was spending all my time trying to create dance music, but I also was very, you know, I'd started a bunch of like an eBay business and, you know, it was very like, I was addicted to reading about other founders and entrepreneurs and how they got their start. And I was thinking that the music business wouldn't be a realistic career. I didn't even know there was a music business. I just knew I liked music. I didn't realize there was a business behind it. My mom, not only did she encourage me to go to South America, which really changed my life, both her and my dad were very 
like I said, I wanted to go to school for something in business. And my parents were very much like, please don't ignore the fact that you love music and you're good at it. And actually found this music business program at Syracuse that was really small. I don't know how I got in. I got enough the wait list called the Bandier program. And that was like, my mom was kind of like, look, like I know you love business, but here's like a music business type program. And I just like, yeah, you should you should apply it and keep your mind open to that. So I've always really like appreciated that they've been very adamant about their values being something that is, I feel like a lot of parents probably just want their kids to find a secure job, which is, you know, rightfully so, but they were very adamant that I found something that, you know, worked for me and catered to my passions. For those people whose parents do want them to find a secure job, but they have another passion, what advice would you give them? Do both. <laughs> I feel yeah. like, you know, even to this day, Alex and I have, you know, we pursued everything that we've ever, we've been interested in and we work 24 seven still, even in COVID times. Alex and I, in addition to our music career, we have a TV and film production company. Our first movie just came out this week it's in theaters called Words on a Bathroom Wall, which we're very proud of. And then, like I said, we just started a venture capital fund. It's a $30 million fund. In addition to that, Alex and I invest in a ton of real estate. We've always just been like, do everything. Don't just go for one thing. It's We love the side hustle. We love, I think it all comes from having like a thirst for knowledge and wanting to learn about the world and how other people have chosen to live their lives. And we've been fortunate enough to one found each other that we're both very like-minded, but um, you know, any kid that's like out there, that's not really sure what to do. You don't have to choose one, do both. I love the side hustle, like I said before, and it all comes down to how, how hard you're willing to work, you know, and if you want to work, you don't have to choose just one thing. Yeah, definitely. Are there any stories in particular for either of you that stand out as influential stories from your young childhood pre-high school? Yeah, I mean, God, there's so many. It's funny how like life lessons sort of stick with you. I remember that my dad, when I was really young, taught me the phrase quid pro quo, which is like, you know, I'll do something for you if you do something for me, which I think is like kind of the backbone of like good business, obviously. And, you know, I've carried that with me through my life. But one story, it's kind of funny. I got hired to DJ, like I probably was like 14 at the time, DJ like a grown up party in our town. And it was like a disco theme party. I never really listened to a lot of disco music. I was 14 years old. So they provided me with like all these CDs that they loved and then like marked the songs they wanted to hear based on like a chart, like how many X's it had. And I remember like playing it, everyone was having fun. And then I played some song and this woman comes up to me, she goes, you are the worst DJ ever. This is a terrible disco song. And I was like, what? That was so disheartening. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like 14 years old playing like a disco party for you, everyone's behalf. And it was just funny because like at the moment I was like, man, like I'm not good at guess at this at all. But also like taught me that you're not gonna be able to please everybody. Look at the bigger picture and everyone was dancing and having fun. And you know what I mean? And I think like throughout life, that's something that stuck with me. In the rest of your career, how have you dealt with naysayers and people who have kind of been against your music or just not fans, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we live in the day and age of cancel culture and everyone has their own platform and funny, everyone has a voice, but they all, it's all on that same platform. You know, they're watching other people living their best life or at least posting their best life. And it makes everyone feel insecure. And so being aware of that everyone is going through their own thing and not taking everything too seriously, I think is important, but obviously that doesn't mean People doubting you doesn't feel bad, but I feel like Alex and I have always done a good job at using that as fuel. And we've entered a lot of new spaces that people, including in the beginning, like our first song was a joke parody song that 
you know, went viral on the internet that didn't sound like any of the other music we were making while it was charting and we made all, we got a record deal and a publishing deal and all these things that you want as a musician. Like I felt like all of our idols in the industry that we were trying to become a part of, like kind of doubted that we would be anything more than that viral song. And Alex and I just decided we got to bet on ourselves and just keep grinding and not get discouraged. And there's been so many times of just people not agreeing with the decision that you made, or they don't think that you're good enough, or, you know, maybe they feel bad about themselves. So they put you down. And I mean, we exist very much on the internet and social media. So there's a lot of that as much. And there's obviously more praise, but you know, the negative comments definitely can speak louder sometimes. And I think that you definitely develop thick skin, but also we know that what we're doing is good and relates to our inherent being. And, and that's all you can be in this world. So just remembering that and kind of using any kind of lack of enthusiasm around like what you believe is right that you're doing, you know, using that as fuel, I think has worked really well for us. Alex, is there anything that you would add to what Drew said or kind of change? I think that anything you're going to do, you're going to meet critics and adversity if you're doing something important or special, you know what I mean? I don't think there's a single thing out there that's beloved by everybody. And I think it's important to stay true to what you believe. And that's why having a great group of people around you to support you is really important. It sucks. I mean, there's no like two ways to cut it, like hearing people that dislike or disagree with things that are important to you. But I think like Drew said, through that process, you can really learn a lot about yourself and ultimately become a better person if you take it to heart and try to see through it. And I think that's something that, you know, is important that society in general do um, is listen to one another. And you might totally disagree with someone's point of view, but if you can try to empathize a little bit with their point of view, at least you can begin to understand why they feel that way and then hopefully find some sort of resolution. That said, you know, some things it's like, it's tough. I mean, music is something very personal to people that make it like ourselves. So, you know, when you're making art and someone doesn't like it, it can sing a little bit differently than making a business that someone thinks, you know, isn't helpful to them. So, you know, it, it comes in different levels. But I think you had told me in high school, that we would be the center of a news cycle story or whatever and live through it and be okay. I don't know if I would have believed you because like in high school, someone walking down the hallway and telling you that your pants look stupid can like ruin your whole you know, month. And I think it's important to like, A, treat people nicer and know that those little types of remarks can really affect people around you. I mean, the film that Drew touched on earlier is all about mental illness and the stigma around it. And, you know, and the overall message is that, like, we need to be more supportive and understanding of each other and the things we're going through. And, and I think that as a society, we can definitely do a better job with that. Along the notes of mental illness, especially in today's society, have you guys ever had to deal with any major experiences like that? And if so, how did you get through those experiences? No pressure to share, because that's a personal question. No, we but We've been pretty open about, like, our just experience with mental health. I mean, me especially, like, in recent history, like in our career where I felt out of control of like the way that I felt like there was a dissonance between what people thought of me on the internet and how I felt about myself and coming to terms with that and, and accepting the fact that like, you know, there's so many great things that come with people knowing who you are and the stuff that you make. And there has to be that balance of people that like, even people that like you might not like you for the wrong reason too. So that was, uh, it gave me a lot of anxiety for a long time. And, you know, anxiety and depression are one of those things that they come and go. And I said before, like, it's not about like what you've done. It's how you feel about yourself. It, like has a thing to do. Like a lot of people will look at, 
you like, what do you have to be, you know, upset about, you know, like, what should you feel bad for? And you're like, look, I'm like, I'm very grateful, but I can't, you have this hard time. You're like, should I feel guilty for feeling upset or sad or, or whatever? And I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, more people should understand. And, you know, you never want to be, woe is me. And, but at the same time, you need to respect yourself and acknowledge like when you're not feeling down and when you're not feeling right and find your own techniques for dealing with that and getting through those moments. That's a very reasonable thing to say, but it's a hard mentality to come to. How did you get to that mentality? I feel like, again, like, I mean, I'm really lucky. I always say the luckiest thing that ever happened to me was meeting Alex because we've been so like-minded about what we want to do. And, you know, we've been really good friends to one another. And there have been so many, there have been multiple times in our career where like, I don't know if I was alone, how I would have dealt with it. <laughs> like, it's just like, there are definitely times where you're like, wow, we really fucked up this time or like, didn't see that coming. And, you know, or, or like, will you get dropped from a label that like you think is like going to be your, you know, you just signed, that's going to be your big stepping stone to where you want to be. And then you get dropped. And there's been a lot of big moments of defeat in our career that like, you also look at each other and you're like, what else am I going to do than just keep trying this, you know, and like definitely carry around sadness but i mean the determination to to keep going we've been really helpful to have like one another and i think just deep down inside of ourselves just like not taking things too seriously and remembering like what alex was just saying like you know if i thought it's really important to like give yourself time and and to feel gratitude and just like remember that 10 years ago like all of this was such a dream and and just appreciating like how far you've come even when you feel like you're in a dark you get so wrapped up in like the now and and how things might be affecting that and you forget like where you come from yeah alex have you had any similar experiences or can you talk about how you helped drew kind of overcome his mental health uh, <laughs> i probably caused most of Drew's mental health issues as much as i've <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the partnership thing is a big component of that. And I think that doesn't mean you have to have a partner in business or like, you know, I think it's about surrounding yourself with people that are supportive and understanding and empathetic and being able to speak to them and also reaching out to friends that you think are struggling and so on. I mean, I, you know, when I was 13 and I did lose my dad, like that was a really traumatic moment in my life where I felt like, you know, as a 13 year old, like also like, what is your like capacity as a human being? Like, you know, the things you're thinking about on a daily basis are like pretty limited compared to what I'm thinking about now. But, you know, you're like, all these people are coming to you telling you, you know, life's gonna be okay. You know, things are gonna move on. And, you know, it's like, you can go left or you can go right. And you can use this pain and this experience as motivation to get through life, or you can let it be an excuse as to why you failed and made bad decisions. And for me, you know, like, granted, as a 13 year old, it's like, I didn't like go out next day and start make Google, you know what I mean? But it was like little <laughs> life decisions that you like decide along the way to, you know, you want to put in the work, you know what I mean? Like what's, you know, you, you've lost the dad, like how is that going to impact you and not to become one of those numbers? And, you know, and there was no positives at the time for me with any of this, you know what I mean? It was more just like inside of me, I was like, I'm not going to become one of those people that everyone's concerned that I'm going to become. And, you know, I, you go to therapy, there's no shame in doing those things. And there isn't as an adult either. So I think that you just try to persevere those hard moments and know that they get better is an important thing. 
definitely. It was like a new cycle lasts like five days. So if you can last like five days, basically. <laughs> On that note, maybe we can lighten the room and go to the coffee break. You guys can tell your funniest story or just a funny story. My funny story. Those aren't appropriate. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's there's a ton, isn't there? But I, again, I mean, I, I guess a good one, that, and this is like kind of a good life lesson in general, is also about like controlling your own destiny. And it's tough. You're going to have people that are going to tell you that you need to listen to them because they've done this before. But then there's also like your instinct and gut that like you should have listened to above anything else. If you're a good, you know, like some people's instincts are really terrible also. So like, <laughs> uh, but in the case of us, I remember like when Drew, you know, Drew mentioned this like novelty song we had and we had an opportunity to perform it on American Idol season finale, which was like a huge fucking moment for any artist at the time. But we're DJs and the song is a joke and the powers that be were like, this is a huge opportunity to like get your song out to, millions of more people which means more downloads which means more money and exposure and fame and blah 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 and yeah. we're just like yeah but like it's the novelty song and we're djs and like i don't really get it and they're like no just get up there and you know you're just gonna perform the song and we're like yeah but it's not formable really and we were like all right well we listened <laughs> to them and we hit play and did this like stupid like bit you know what I mean? That like all things considered, I think it was like the most harmless way to do the song, but was, you know, just absolutely corny as hell. And, you know, and we got like absolutely roasted by it, by like our, the musicians that we respect and admire and, and design in general. And it was like, you know, we ended up everything fine in the end, which is again, like you can make mistakes and, and rise above them. But, you know, at the time we looked like goddamn idiots and like, <laughs> we were like running around American Idol and it was just not a good look. And we should have just listened to our gut and put our foot down. But I remember that that was definitely one of those moments where we like did it reluctantly, convinced of like the opportunity. And I remember like after it was over, just I think we went and flew to uh, Denver to do a show at, uh, what's that sick yeah, club Beta. in Denver? Beta. Then I remember just sitting on the plane being like, I think we really made a huge mistake there. And, <laughs> and, and we did the show at Beta and it was great. And I, the next day we, we flew to Brazil for, uh, for an event. And I remember, do you remember that? Yeah. We, were, we, we were leaving <laughs> to Brazil. We were leaving to Brazil <laughs> and the plane's taking off. And literally as the plane's taking off, a DJ that was like really hot at the time. I won't say who it is that, that we, we, I still am a huge fan of that. We had never met that we really looked up to tweeted the, the video of us on American Idol and was just like, damn, this is what happens when you don't know how to say no to your manager. And like, this is like, as we're taking off and we were like, Oh no, here it goes, here <laughs> it goes. And then, but then we like took off and it was like a 10 hour flight to Brazil. And so our phones were just shut, shut off. So we couldn't really react to it. We couldn't watch it happen. I remember just landing in Brazil and looking at our phones and literally like every one of our idols had like, was just basically making fun of us on Twitter. And it was just like, and you're then you're on the other side of the world. You've never been there before. You just feel like your life is over. You're like, wow, like we, we got so far and we just blew it right there. And I remember that was definitely a moment where I think probably everyone in dance music was like, wow, like these guys, like, 
this just this for sure isn't it this for sure is the next thing despite its popularity and I remember feeling just so defeated and like just in a hole and it took like a year to climb out of that hole like it we had to like be have the confidence to be like no we're gonna put out music and it's gonna be awesome and people are gonna get it and we're gonna do something important and it took like it probably took two years to like really kind of win people back over it ended up happening with the song called roses which was a, probably our real first hit and that was like oh and i remember when we made it we're like this is the chain smoker sound this is gonna be our thing and and it ended up becoming a hit but like that took like two years of like everyone just thinking we were a joke you know and it was like this kind of crazy time we were also like this the song selfie was big enough that we were we were like flying around all over the world it was massive in india and in china and we're flying to asia playing shows it's clubs full of people that like actually love that song but at the same time you don't feel good about yourself and what a perplexing time that was. But I mean, we just decided like, what else are we going to do? We just have to, we just got to do the damn thing and like keep putting out music that we think is dope. And eventually people will realize and we were very fortunate enough to have a, another hit song. And then a few after that, that won people back over and we had a second chance of showing people what, who we were. And in that moment when you were getting criticized by your, the people you looked up to, you said that it took a lot of grit and just, confidence and determination to move back to the top how did you get back that confidence get get that grit to do what you needed to do i think you know like i said it was like alex and i and our manager adam were like like this the the it was just being like look like this really sucks like this is not the kind of attention that you want for your artist career when you really are passionate and we, we had all these like great indie remixes and that's what our fan base was before the song the song just got so big and was so polarizing and different from our other music that like we were then defined by it and we just were like what else are we going to do we're not going to become that artist it's not the kind of music we make we're also not going to give up even though that was the beginning of our career we had been working our asses off for a year and a half two years like every day all day every day there was giving up really wasn't an option it was more just like okay now we just have more of an uphill battle to prove ourselves and i'm honestly like really grateful for that scenario because it seems to keep happening there are moments there are like major setbacks that we've been faced with over our career where you're like dang like i don't know how we would have climbed ourselves out there unless we had like done it before in the past like there's so many things where you're just like it's you know it doesn't change how much it hurts but like you know you have the confidence of like no like we're good people we make good music and like we really care about this who we are like and if you just keep doing your thing like people will re realize that the truth always reveals itself were there any other particular experiences that were as hard as that one or almost as hard? So many. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Like so many. <laughs> There's been this really funny trend that's happened every time something amazing in our career has happened. It's almost immediately followed by a humbling moment, like every single time. Yeah. I mean, that's totally true. I mean, I think like what's funny about success is it doesn't get any easier as you move on. I mean, there's certainly part act parts of it that make other parts of your life easier. And there's, you know, it's in a great process to, to start feeling like you're having success. But I think it depends what kind of human being you are, you know what I mean? And if you look to someone like a, you know, an Elon Musk, who's one of the most successful people that's probably ever lived on planet Earth, you know, this is a guy that is making real changes on the wealthiest people in the world. But like, 
he has a chip on his shoulder constantly. Maybe that's the wrong expression for him, but he's like very motivated to continue to challenge himself. And I think if those are the qualities that make really incredible people, which is also why we're so interested in like the VC space and finding those people because you can have success, but like, it's not about like money. It's not like, oh, it's never enough money. It's about like, how far can I push this, you know, in myself to do real incredible things that, you know, I, I want to achieve. And I think that despite like those setbacks that inevitably happen to everybody, it's like, you just kind of got to put your head down. And like, I think being the underdog is like a great position to be in, to be honest, which is where we often find ourselves, you know, people count you out. They don't expect you to deliver the way you're going to deliver. And I think like positioning yourself like that is a, is a really strong tool to motivate yourself. Definitely. I want to move back to kind of your childhood. So Drew, you had said that you went to Argentina and you started just spending all your time trying to learn how to DJ. Alex, you had mentioned that you had just really just got into it and you were doing it at parties. How did you guys really learn how to get the hard skills that you needed to have to make songs? And what were those hard skills? Yeah, well, that was that was mainly, I love DJs and I wanted to be a DJ. But when I heard those artists in Argentina and I heard dance music for the first time, I just wanted to know how to make it. And so that's what I really focused on when I came home. I was probably 18. And I did some reading online about what program would be the best. And I downloaded Ableton and was obsessed with it. Like, I was making sounds that I never heard before. I was learning about synthesis. And, you know, it was a time when all these new great plugins were being made. But it was also at a time where it's like, I look, I mean, obviously there's tons of, there's way more kids producing now, but then now they have all these resources that, you know, YouTube videos and tutorials and masterclasses and all these things that will like show you how to do it and you can get started quicker. When I started, like I was like deep on forums, just like trying to, trying to like figure out like what since did what, and I didn't have any money. So you had to be really careful about which gear you invested in. And like, I wasn't really ever like <laughs> hacker enough to know how to like torrent good plugins without having them destroy your computer. So I never really did that. But I was just super passionate about just learning and finding a community of other kids that were trying to do it, which was they were few and far between at the time. And yeah, I mean, that was kind of the beginning. And then when Alex and I met, you know, I had some production skills, I still wasn't amazing. Alex had a bunch of DJ gigs, and we were very passionate about the same music. We're like, let's team up and just sit in his studio apartment in New York City all day, every day, and just like try to make something that it could be our own sound that we were excited about. But it took, you know, like years of just like doing it all day, every day and being like, we're going to do this. And we were really fortunate to have a lot of small wins along the way that kept us motivated. But it was really like a year and a half of like, I don't know if we'll ever make it. We're not making crazy money. And we're also putting our eggs in one basket, which I, you know, I'd recommend to a lot of kids too, is like, if you really want to win at something, put yourself in a position where it's literally live or die. Everyone thought about us becoming DJs in the beginning. They're like, that is the least practical career choice you could probably go for. But we saw an opportunity and we put ourselves in a position where like, we are so fucked. It doesn't work out. And it's crazy what that motivation will do, you know? Were there any steps similar or mindset similar to that for you, Alex, that helped you kind of succeed and become? as good as you are now? Yeah, I mean, well, I think like, I think Drew's right. Like, I mean, I was a receptionist at an art gallery at the time and I quit when we met, when Drew and I met like the next day and it was like, all right, like this is all or nothing. You know what I mean? Like, like we got to really throw ourselves into this. And I think that's really important to like, 
you know, I don't think it like as you become more successful, like diversifying is, is a great way to like expand into new areas and, and learn and use the synergies that you've been creating and to create other opportunities. But I think, you know, when it, you're younger, it's like you really got to like throw yourself in. And like I was lucky because I wasn't learning how to produce music. So that was really Drew's edge. I knew how to DJ really well. And I created like a social side component of it that like, you know, allowed us to make okay money in New York City at the time for our age. And that was like something that was really interesting to me was like fostering those relationships and creating environments that people like want to be a part of and, and love to do. And I think like that partnership between I, both of us is really what drove our success in the beginning because it wasn't like, hey, Drew, I need to sit here for six hours with you and like teach me how everything about producing. It was like, you produce, I'm going to handle this side of the business and we'll meet in the middle. And like those two forces together really work. Like, I mean, I started playing piano now probably like four and a half years ago. And I play two hours or three hours a day every day now. And it's like, you have to do that. Like if I want to become a great piano player, like you have, to, there's no shortcut. You know what I mean? You got to put in the hours. And I think that goes for anything. Everyone who's successful, what they do is really become a master. Of, you know, it's like Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours. Like this shit is real. <laughs> With regards to the social skills and building the right atmosphere, what, what did you do to make sure that you did that? Drank a lot. No, I'm just kidding. Well, sort of. Uh, <laughs> we're like, I mean, we're you know we're young. We're in our 20s in, in New York City, which is like you know a great place to be. We are obsessed with dance music. You know, it was about making friends and treating people equally that you meet and continuing to nurture those relationships. You know, like obviously I wasn't looking at it so scientifically. Like I need to reach out to Jim because it's been two weeks and like Jim might be valuable, but it's like. People remember those types of things over time. And, you know, it's important. Like, I can't tell you how many times we've done stuff and gotten offers for big events and whatever. And it's like a friend of mine that now works is like the head of Turner or something. You know what I mean? And it's like, you don't know where people are going to land. So I think it's like, for me, it was always about like, be friends with everybody. Be, try to be nice to everybody and, and relate. And like, they'll support you too. And, uh, you know, as Drew and I became more successful musically, it was like all these people playing our music and telling that they were friends of ours. And these people all become part of your journey, especially like when we began to really take off, you know, we played every like shitty club and bar in the world basically. And, you know, <laughs> those people continue to support you as you go up to the next level and next level. And next thing you know, you know, you have all these amazing people behind you and then you pivot to tequila and we have a tequila company and it's like, Hey, all you, you know, bar owners that, you know, we played at like, what do you guys think about carrying our tequila? And they're like, we'd love to. You know what I mean? You guys were always so great to us. And, you know, I think that is a big that is, component that is of our- single-handedly the most important function of, of what we've been able to do. And Alex and I were both really social people and, and love to hang out and love to take care of people. But we remember like what it was like when you couldn't get into the club. And when you weren't relevant and when no one like took us seriously, you know, in, in our industry and we were like at the festival and no other artists wanted to talk to us. And we remember like so vividly like what that feels like. And I feel like we've made such an effort to make sure that if we can control it, no one in our sphere of social setting or influence or whatever feels that way. I think our superpower is being able to make people feel acknowledged. I mean, Alex is really, really outstanding at staying in touch with people. And remembering, and like you know, I I am one once when I'm in person, and but like being, just acknowledging people and not forgetting where you came from, and have empathy for the fact that like everyone is just trying 
do their thing and be part of something. And unless someone's done something fucked up to one of us, we are, we we haven't cut anyone off. There's like, you know, like, like Alex was saying, for every arena that we've sold out, we've played probably four or five smaller venues in that city. And we've like hosted people before and after and invited other people into this, like our world, which is, you know, we've been able to create this really incredible like experience for people and pull them into this world that we're, we're so like privileged to have become a part of and sharing that experience with others has taken us very, very far. Just being nice guys. Yeah. As our time comes to a close, I just want to zoom out and say throughout your whole life, other than your selfie kind of experience, were there any other major failures and specific moments that you really think of when you kind of think of shaping yourself just at any point in your life? Yeah, well, for sure. For me, similar to the selfie moment, you think you do it once, you wouldn't do it again. But, you know, I had never sang before live, ever before in my life. But I sang on this, this song, our song Closer. That was the first song I ever sang on, period. And it came out and it blew up really quickly. It went to number one on, on Billboard within a couple of weeks. And it was right before the VMAs. And they asked us to perform it. But I was like, I had no, I never performed. I never sang on stage ever. I never used in-ears. My voice wasn't that great. And again, it was another huge opportunity that we just weren't ready for and didn't have the foresight to do. And, you know, granted, that was like four or five years ago now. But like, you know, that was my first foray as like a singer. And that sucked. I sounded like shit. Um, I looked really stupid. And it was a massive song and like that haunted me for a long time. And like, I just can't believe how naive I was to think that I was ready for that moment. And, you know, I'm like really proud of how much I've worked on my voice and I feel like I've really settled into it now and hundreds and hundreds of shows where I'm singing now. But that was a moment where everyone was like, damn, this dude fucking sucks at singing and rightfully so. And, you know, the internet teased me for that basically still until till now. And that's like a really... You know, I knew that after Closer, me singing on Chainsmokers records, because we, you know, we're writing these songs, I want to be able to tell our story. That was going to be like a, a permanent thing for our, our band. And to have kind of like the, one of the worst entrance into the live performance space was a really, really tough thing, both for my confidence, both for our brand. And, you know, like, again, that's another like huge, like setback that we didn't see coming. And are there any kind of different mindsets or actions that you took in that moment to get over it and move on so that now you can sing and you are performing live? Well, yeah, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of vocal lessons and playing around with my voice in the studio and on tour and practicing and just being like, okay, if I'm really going to do this, let's do it right and get myself ready. So like I can be an exciting performer that people want to pay to come see. And like, I can, I can make people feel something. And, you know, I'm really proud of myself for how much I've grown, but it was, it was tough. It's really tough. Totally makes sense. Alex, do you have any particular stories similar to that? Or I'm pretty locked in. <laughs> pretty locked in. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like it's there's not like big moments that come to mind. It's more just like, you know, you're growing. You know what I mean? If you, you ask like yourself the question about like being in 2002, it's like you don't know everything and you don't know. Sometimes you can think you're making the right decision and you're not. And, things get taken out of context. You make poor decisions based on your own happiness that other people don't see the same way. And I think ultimately, like, it's just about like, you're going to make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes. 
long as you can like learn from them and move on. That's like really all you can expect of people these days. And it's like, you know, no one is perfect. And we all have horrible things that we all wish like never happened or never did. But like you can take those lessons and learn from them and become, you know, ultimately a better person. And like, I think a lot of the times you sometimes you need those things because through experience is when you really learn about those moments, you know, like reading about them in books and seeing them in movies, you know, it, it's one thing, but like going through them is an entirely different experience. So the truth, the older you get, kind of the wiser you get, but you still will make mistakes over and over again. That's part of being human. Yeah. So my final question for you guys, now that you've become the pinnacle of success, how would you define success <laughs> and what's the next step? Well, I'd say, <laughs> I'd say I'd, I mean, the pinnacle of success, I don't know about that. But I think, I mean, success to, to both of us is like having the, both of us has, have such a thirst for knowledge, interest in being involved in just impactful moments in culture and being able to contribute in those moments. And I, I think success is having the freedom and ability and network to be able to participate in so many of those moments that are, are going to be important for culture and feed your creativity and help people. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, for me, success is like, pro it's as simple as just progress. And that's kind of broad, but success isn't necessarily like setting that goal and hitting it. It's like the movement towards that goal, because that goal is always going to change and move. And you don't know how. So if you can enjoy the progress that you make, no matter how small, and find pleasure in those moments, that's to me is like how you ultimately achieve success. Because setting a goal and reaching it. And then you're just going to realize that you now have to set a new goal and there's going to be something else out there. And so that's a short lived moment. So you've got to just kind of enjoy the heading towards in that direction that you like. And if you're making progress, then you're doing great. So on that note, what's the next goal for you guys? You know, we have this VC fund. You know, I'd say the same thing with our music career, with our TV and film production company. It's just to create pieces of work that are are impactful and important and thought provoking and, um, you know, are important to some people. And then, you know, with our fund, it's the same kind of thing, actually, too. It's like, we want to invest in businesses that are going to be impactful, that are going to help our generation that are forward thinking that take care of people. And yeah, that's what's next. Alex, anything to add on to that? Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, like the success is, is just a funny thing. And, and like, for me, it's like, we have a lot of amazing projects that I'm really excited about. And every time we enter a space that someone thinks that it's impossible for us to succeed, that is like my the motivation for it. So, you know, I want to be a part of the journey of all these amazing founders in the VC world. I want to create, you know, one of the best selling tequila brands in the business. I want to win an Oscar from a, <laughs> for a film we are a part <laughs> of or, you know, in my relationship with my girlfriend and enjoy the moments with my dog and keep my hair. and. <laughs> be a sexy you know there's a million things <laughs> so if someone was to listen to the last five minutes of this conversation and take away three things what would those things be the powerpoints of our conversation if you could sum it all up have Maybe. empathy yeah have empathy both, i would say honestly other really people important. and yourself yeah and i would say one important like more of a tool is like create to-do lists like, honestly, it's such a great thing. I think so. for, today, for today's people, it's so the hardest part is like sometimes the starting something new. And if you just create a to-do list, it sits in front of your face every day. And it's just like, you got to do this. You know what I mean? And just keep building on it. it. Like It's a really helpful thing. It helped me in school. 
and in business. And it's just like a way, especially today where we have, you know, I have such ADD and, you know, it, it's important to like see those goals that you're trying to hit. And it's not like, it can be really grand, but it could be simple as something like create company's name. You know what I mean? And just like get that done. And that's your first step towards your billion dollar business. That's good. I think being kind to people and having empathy for everyone and that everyone's trying to do something for themselves and their family and, and just remembering that every time you meet someone and uh, I think is the most important thing that we've learned. Perfect. Works for me. Thanks so much for the time, guys. Uh, of course, yeah. brother. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to One Hour Intern. I hope that you explore more of our episodes. Follow us at One Hour Intern. The one is spelled using the number one. And if you enjoyed, please rate follow and subscribe. The One Hour Intern is produced, hosted, and written by me, Will Brigger. My co-producers are The Blue and Studio Pod. Till next time. Thanks.